Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, we have a fun, we're going to go on a fun trip today, actually right into uh, 25 New York City classrooms, if not more. And we're going to have classroom secrets exposed with my guest, Elizabeth Rose. Uh, She has a lot of, uh, well, a very interesting history, actually. And then uh, a new book uh, called Yo Miz, One Teacher Plus 25 Schools Equals One Wacky Year. I'll let her tell you how that all came about. But I wanted to do this show because, well, first of all, as those of you know who have been listening for a while, I am New York City born and bred, and I went to New York City public schools and um, from PS214 in, uh, in Queens uh, on, to, well, to junior high school 185, to Flushing High School, and then, then I got out of there to college. <laughs> but, um, you know, this particularly interested me, of course, because it was my own experience, but I wanted to have you on, Elizabeth, because I'm very concerned. Um, I mean, now I live in L.A., but I'm very concerned about the school experiences that kids are having all over the United States. Um, It ain't what it used to be in many different ways. And um, the bottom line is that now kids are afraid to be in public schools with with a lot of good reason and um, are not really learning in the same way, there are so many distractions, for one thing, now in, in life. You know, their families getting abused at home or parents getting divorced and so on. And then um, just just all of the different things that are going on in schools. So I thought you and your new book and your, your wealth of experience uh, would be a wonderful way to share what what actually what's going on in there what, what's uh, so all of you who are all my listeners are going to be getting a front row seat to uh, to hear what actually is going on these days in and in, in Manhattan public schools but i really don't think that that's very different um, in a lot of fundamental ways from things that are going on in lots of other schools all over this country so welcome to the show thank you so much dr carroll i really Love being on with you. Well, uh, well yeah, don't say that yet. <laughs> don't <know> yet. <laughs> um, no, I'm kidding. But I do want to start, before we get into schools, I want to start with um, your own, I always ask people this, um, or generally I do, uh, you know, what got them interested in a particular subject, if they've written a book, or what you know, led them to certain experiences. And I know that you say that uh, your parents, both of your parents were teachers, and they wanted you to be a teacher. And um, actually, that's what my parents said, too. Be a teacher. Be a teacher. <laughs> I used to make fun of them because um, they said you get, you get summers off. It's a, it's a secure job. Um, and, and, but you, and you had decided, no, you weren't going to do that, but then you wound up doing that. So tell us about it. Well, first of all, it sounds like we're related or brought up in the same family. And the last thing I ever wanted to do 
was do what my parents suggested I should do. And right. I was always a musician. I come from a whole family of musicians and actors, and mostly musicians. My mother was an actress before she was a teacher. And I just wanted to be an entertainer. And later, I just wanted I, that broadened into not only singing and playing instruments and writing, uh, writing music, but also writing, just writing, you know, writing songs and, and that kind of thing. So I doggedly pursued a creative life. And as I'm sure you know, it has its ups and downs. And sometimes you're working and sometimes you're not. Um, and so I was at a point, I had, had a lot of, a lot, did a lot of stuff for, you know, wrote music for TV and film and some, had a show actually that was produced off Broadway by the Cherry Lane Theater, a one-woman musical comedy and, and so on. But I wasn't, you know, I was always looking for income streams, which is very typical of, of you know, this kind of freelance life. So mm-hmm. there was a school across the street from my apartment in Manhattan, and there was, it was one of these big old schools, the old, the old Julia Richmond Complex, big, beautiful school. And they had broken it down into six small schools, so I, and one of them was called Talent Unlimited. So I thought, why don't I go over there and see if they'd like me to come over and teach songwriting, and I'll, raise, I'll bring some keyboards, and this could be fun. Uh-huh. And I, literally, on the way out of my apartment, I ran into one of my neighbors, who was an assistant principal in one of the other schools in that building. She said, where are you going? And I told her, she said, no, come to our school. Huh. So I went to this other school, which was not a music school by any means, not a talent school, just kind of a regular school, except it was a progressive high school where they didn't give many tests. Instead, they did something very um, wonderful called um, performance-based assessments, which I'll talk about later if you're interested in, in which mm-hmm. kids kids learn to be, quote, experts in five different subjects, and by the end of their senior year, they will have, pre- they will have uh, presented five what you would call doctoral-type presentations to mm-hmm. a committee in their area, and it's fantastic. Anyway, so I started there at this school, teaching um, songwriting and bringing money in. I, I don't know, I like to, I guess I like to raise money because when I see a need, I go out and find it. So I brought some money in, uh, got some grants, and over the years, um, I was a teaching artist for a while. I started teaching not only songwriting, but creative writing, and we did a video documentary class. Uh, we made documentaries. I brought in video equipment, um, and then find. After five years as a part-time teaching artist, I, they asked me to take a full-time position. So I took one, and I continued all these fun things, and plus I started raising bigger money. I, got a, uh, I felt like the school was, the technology was very, very um, slow and poor, and I wanted our kids, the kids in the school were mostly from the projects, mostly from Manhattan and, and the Bronx, a few from Brooklyn. Most of them were... We had a big Title I uh, group meeting that the kids were uh, below the poverty level, families lived below the poverty level, and they would get free lunches at school. So I wanted these kids, you know, they really move you. You fall in love with the kids. If you don't, you shouldn't be in the building. So you, I really wanted them to have 21st century technology. So I went out and found that the city council gave competitive grants to schools and parks and other things like that. So I went out and I wrote a grant, and then I invited them in and had them see our performance-based assessment. Mm. And by, lo- by gum, they gave us a $248,000 grant, which put a smart board in every room and it bought us a shiny new iMac lab. 
Um, so that was this. Well, that was the that's great. thrill of my life. Yes, that's great. And um, just as I was about, to, as the year turned and everything was installed and I was ready to start using that, the Department of Education had cut my position because it wasn't considered, you know, important because the budgets had to be cut. And they decided to send me and 2,500 other teachers whose positions had been cut for a variety of reasons, including some closing some schools. They wanted to wear us down so we would leave so they wouldn't have to go through some protracted um, procedures to get us off the budget. So they decided to send us to a new school each week as a substitute teacher in order to make us so miserable that we would leave. So, uh, yeah. So I thought, I went to my first school thinking, okay, I'll take another paycheck, see how this goes. They're not really going to do this. They can't. How can they send 2,500 teachers to a new school each week? Well, I got there and my and the first school I was a very good school. It was a Baruch College campus high school, and I was there for the first month. And then the first, then the week by week began after the first month. And the second week I was in there, this voice just hit me and said, "If you don't stay and tell this story, you're out of your mind." <laughs> the universe uh-huh. has opened up and sent you up out. So I p- pretended I was a Daily Show reporter for the rest of the year <laughs> and uh-huh. started notes and I went ended up teaching as a substitute in 25 different Manhattan public high schools writing about it all the time of course not telling anybody I'm writing about it and um and and what happened was it really opened my heart because wait wait wait. let me just ask you something so does that mean like every two weeks or no I guess it would be every would be every week how long would you be it the first month I was at one school but then after that, they sent us to a new school every week. And the way we found out where we were going was Thursday night, you had to go on the computer to the website, and that would tell you there an algorithm, a, computer, a digital algorithm would tell you what school you were to report oh, wow. to on Monday morning. I mean, that seems like just an organizational nightmare and such a, um, a ruse to get people, I mean, in order to not have people have to sue the uh, school system or, or, I guess, make too much noise, this would be a way to just get them to quietly quit. Did, yeah, did that and, work? Yeah, and, and it, it, it does seem kind of uh, like a ruse. And the only reason I'm saying this is because the principal I had, whom I'd known for 10 years, said to me he had been to a network meeting. This was the day he told me I couldn't work there anymore. Um, he said they actually said they, that the DOE devised this scheme to wear us down so we would just leave. God, okay. <laughs> so go ahead. So that's, it, that's why well, I wrote the book. Ask you, was it successful? Like the people, the teachers that you knew who were on this plan, um, did most of them leave after a short time? Okay, so I didn't know many at all. I met some during my journey, during the year. I was uh-huh. the only one out of my school that I, I, that I knew that Send. Um, and I made friends with one whom I'm still in touch with, and she stayed on for a few more years. Um, I think they're, they're still doing the rotation. There are a bunch hmm. of teachers. Nobody knows what the numbers are right now. Somebody has said they're around 1,000, but th- these numbers are not disclosed, and it, I think it's a somewhat fluid number as they sometimes get temporary positions. But uh-huh. most of the teachers now... Most of the teachers were very experienced teachers, which means their salaries were high. 
So uh-huh. once they're in this pool of teachers who don't have positions anymore, they're still being paid their full salaries. And so if they're making $80,000 a year and applying for permanent jobs that come up during the year, a principal is more likely to hire two, two teachers for $40,000 mm-hmm. a year than an experienced teacher for $80,000. Mm-hmm, so it was, mm-hmm. it's become really hard for these teachers in the pool to get a position back. Yes, yes. Okay, so go ahead. Tell us what you found. Okay, so what I found was I was sent, you know, I was in Manhattan, and that was great because um, I got to go uptown, downtown, midtown, to the barrio, Harlem, to Washington Heights, which I like to call upstate Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I got to see the things that really interest me are, you know, how creative is a school? How creative do the kids get to be? How, what's the vi- what are the vibes like in a school? And what I saw, I saw schools in Midtown that were full of resources. They're all public schools, mind you. And I found schools that, had, that were devoted to fashion, that had giant runways and, and auditoriums and dress forms in every school, um, in every classroom, and, and inc- incredible galleries of student work in all kinds of artistic media and fashion all through the school. I saw another school uh, that had a video production um, classroom and photography classroom that was pre-production and post-production with the, the highest quality equipment for the kids and they were making their own films. I saw, hmm. I saw school with, schools with, you know, uh, wonderful art supplies and, and teachers and I saw, you know, um, schools where there was some, there was a little bit of music here and there. I didn't see any great music programs, by the way. I'm musicians. And then I would go to Washington Heights and I found a small school in the old George Washington build, high school building, which is a big school like the ones that you and I went to. I went to Jamaica High School. Mm. Um, they, they had cut it into smaller schools. And the one school I was in called the College Academy had 600 students. And they, the kids, the students, in order to graduate, were required to take one art credit in their four years in high school. One art credit, and I have a lot of feelings about that. Now, what I discovered in that school, and again, this is just what I discovered, is that the substitute teacher was assigned to the art class every week. And I found that my other friend who was a rotating uh, teacher like me also was assigned these art classes um, by the assistant principal. And the total art supplies for this school of 600 kids was one cardboard box, with a bunch of colored pencils that needed sharpening. Uh, actually, it was just a few, a few colored pencils that needed sharpening, and someone had run off with the sharpener. <laughs> so <And that's> it. <laughs> that was it. And I was outraged. I was, I was really furious. So I, by the end of the week, um, I had done a whole bunch of art projects with these kids, from self-portraiture to all kinds of stuff. Everything I could think of I would do with these kids. And at the last day, I was so angry at, these, at this school for, for cheating these kids, who are basically 15 to 20 minutes by subway from some of the world-class art institutions, mm. like the Metropolitan Museum of Art, etc. Um, and absolutely no initiative to give these kids any kind of an art education. I got so mad, I did a, I did a photo shoot with them where we, we 
drew on the board, we deserve a great art class. And then I asked them what they wanted. And they wanted trips to museums. They wanted great materials, et cetera, et cetera. And I had them all turn their backs to me because you can't, you can't take pictures of kids in public school. And I had them turn their backs in front of this, this bulletin board and raise their third fingers <laughs> snapped away. And one of those pictures is in the book, Yo Miss. That was, you know, my one way of Yes, of getting back yes, at it. Yes, and I saw that picture, and it says, um, those who, what does it say on the board? It says, we deserve a great uh, great art class, uh, trips, museums. But, but anyone um, says something, all those who agree, raise your hand. Right, raise your third finger. <laughs> yeah, raise it right. <laughs> so, you know, the, the and I was in two schools a block away from each other in Wall Street, and one of them was all, one of them was one of the top schools in the, in the whole city, which is called Millennium High School. Brilliant. All, screen, all the kids are screened on the basis of how great they're doing on tests out of junior high. And, then, and they had everything, and they were going to, one group went to Ghana, another went to China for, for a spring vacation. They had all kinds of resources. Uh, I didn't see music again, and I don't know what the art was like, so I can't comment on that. But right, right on the next block was another public high school, Richard R. Green, which was a, a school that was with very, very challenging kids that were coming by subway, maybe an hour subway ride from the Bronx, and they had, I was put into what they call the save room, which is a place where they put the kids who are disrupting, um, who might be disruptive or make it unsafe for other kids in the classroom. So, of course, I had all the, you know, the, 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 the wacky kids, and I actually had a great time with them. <laughs> My whole chapter is on being in the save room. Um, so, but these two, two schools were down Wall Street, and they're totally different. It's just so, amazing. Just amazing. So the inequities. What made it, like you said, that for the, the Millennium School, people had to take a, a test? Like, how, do, how are people getting, um, getting divided into these different schools? I mean, aside from presumably uh, geographically, who lives the closest to each school? But, but like, what made the difference? How did, what made some schools have all these wonderful programs and supplies and other schools being the exact opposite? That's a, that is the question. That is the question I would like to see answered. I know why there are schools like Millennium and Hunter College High School and the Baruch College High School that are what they call screened schools. And these kids are allowed to only accept, they compete with each other, actually, for the top students. Bronx High School of Science, Stuyvesant, these schools. You've heard of these schools, I'm sure. Um, So the reason that they have such a, a, a dynamic, high um, achieving student body is because they screen for that. Yes, um, well, we do, we do need to take a break now. We will come back to that the okay. um, sixty four thousand dollar question and hear more classroom secrets exposed by my guest Elizabeth Rose. Um, she is the uh, Elizabeth Rose. There we go, <laughs> Elizabeth Rose. You haven't been called that before. Um, and her book again is called Yo Ms. One teacher plus 25 schools equals one wacky year. So we'll be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask 
the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Classroom Secrets Exposed with my guest, Elizabeth Rose. Her book, Yo Miz, One Teacher Plus 25 Schools Equals One Wacky Year. We are having a front row seat in class as she's uh, telling us about her experience um, <laughs> traveling <laughs> from uh, one school to another. You know, I was talking before about how hard that is on teachers, but of course, <laughs> you know, worse than that, um, how hard it was for students to um, have a new substitute every week. I mean, I guess in some cases it might have been, depending upon the, the teachers, I guess in some cases it might have been a good thing to get exposed to, you know, some more good teachers than maybe they would have had if they had had the same teacher, bad teacher, all year. But really it is kind of distracting and disruptive and hard to learn. I mean, and maybe a subject like art, you can deal with it, but certainly in other subjects like uh, English or math or history, it makes it even more difficult. Absolutely. And if you think about the, the teacher talent, it, it is all about the students, and that's the big lesson, I think, of what I learned. Is, this is all about what the kids, but if you think about all of the kids, that, are, especially our most challenged kids, kids with emotional or other types of or learning disabilities or English language learners, the kids just coming you know, because they're hungry. The only meal they get is at school, and, you know, some of them are living in shelters. These are the kids that just open my heart. And, you know, think of how they would benefit from my being in their school for a week, me and all these other teachers, and being able to have one-on-ones or helping them to make a plan to go to college or or get a, a kind of a, you know, just have somebody to talk to that's actually a professional. Um, and in in some of the schools... They put me, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, in a, in a hallway guarding an exit for a whole week that was never huh. used. What a waste huh. that was! weren't there weren't there kids that could have used me and couldn't I? And that it gives me something great to do too. Something so it's, it was a terrible waste of energy to to 
to the for the kids and for the for the for the for the, for the teachers to not be able to work with each other and to to move forward in in their lives, you know, to help them move yes. forward. But yes. most of these kids need a one on one with a with an adult who's going to, you know, channel them and and tell them yes, you know, go for it and give them some ideas on how to approach it, practical ideas. So that was an amazing, that was also amazing. And then, you know, think about what it was like for the principal. Oh, you're going to get three new rotating teachers this week. Uh, Find something for them to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, principals are dealing with a lot of stuff on a 24-7 basis. Here's here's something else we're going to throw at you. Uh huh. And and it's all to wear those of us rotating down, so we'll leave. You know how is that helping? Yes. Not to mention that it's repeating a pattern in these in these kids' lives where adults that they come to that they meet or come to trust or even their parents they're there one minute and gone the next, so they're learning about abandonment again. That's a great point. And and so. Yeah, these, yes, you're absolutely right. It's reinforcing the fact that they don't count. Right. And one, and one really little sidebar, it's just a silly thing. The principal, the new principal of my old school who had to tell me that I, I couldn't stay anymore, I ran into him in the street because, of course, I live across the street from that school. During the early part of my rotation, I forget what school I was at, and um, he said, oh, yeah, they're sending me these rotating teachers. And he said, and he was just being conversational because we had been friends for 10 years. And he said, I just put them in the basement in the school for the week. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, tell us about some of the problems that the kids have that you came across. Oh. Okay. Well, you know, all of these kids are trying to define who they are. They're all teenagers. They're, you know, they're trying to figure out who they are and what their lives mean and all that stuff. So... Not, you know, the ones that really affected me the most were the kids who were living in the poorest areas, because I was in a lot of schools that just served the poorest kids. So in one school, I was assigned to uh, the library to help four kids, four or five boys with credit recovery, which is where they sit in front of a computer and guess at multiple choice questions in a science, like earth science or something, and if they finally guess enough, you know, they'll get credit for that class, which is also kind of crazy. But what happened was it became kind of a rap session. You know, we were sitting in the library, it was just us, and they started telling me about their lives, and one of them said, his name was Oscar, he said, I'm a thug, you know, and I was... I was arrested for armed robbery, and they're going to put me away for seven years. Hmm. And I was saying, no, that, you know, you don't have to do that. He said, yeah, Ms., I'm a dealer, I'm a thug, you know. And then his friend next to him, just who was this kind of sweet boy, he said, I murdered my stepfather. I went, what? And I thought, you know, maybe he's gassing me or maybe he's not telling me the truth. And I looked at him, and I felt he was. I said, tell me about it. And he, he did. He had, I said, why did you... You killed your your stepfather? He said, yeah. I said, why? He said, because he was bothering my mother. And mm-hmm. then they, he, how old were you? Seven. Huh. And I said, well, what happened? He said, well, they put me in this program and, you know, I'm fine now. And when I'm eight, I'm going to be 18 soon and all the charges have been dropped. And he said, in any way, I'm not addicted to it anymore. I said, addicted to what? He said, murder. I was addicted to murder. 
So, you know, this kid was, he kind of blew my mind. Um, had he murdered anything else? Had he murdered, like, little animals or something in addition to a stepfather? I didn't go there with him. We didn't go there. He just said, I was addicted to it, and I'm not addicted to it anymore. I'm mm. fine. So when mm. I'm 18, there aren't going to be any charges against me anymore. Wow. And who knows what was going on in that place when he said right. she was, he was bothering my mother. Oh, God, you know. Right. Imagine how awful. That must have been a very violent, violent scene. Yes. He was being heroic, I guess. Yeah, but yes. at seven years Protecting. old, I guess. Yeah. So that was one. Another really, I, there was a girl in one of my schools. I was, I was given a six-week job in one school called the Academy of Environmental Sciences, which I felt was a very loving school, and they closed it because it wasn't getting, it didn't get a high enough score on an overall test, the school. Mm-hmm. Even though it improved its score, they still eventually closed it. But I was there for six weeks, and they gave me English language learners. We call them L's, and I had just a few kids, and these kids were with me for six weeks. And it was my job to get them through English language regents test, which is a standardized test in New York State. Um, and there was this one girl. She was the oldest. She was probably about 18 years old. Her name was Mignon, and she'd been born in the Ivory Coast, um, and I was trying to help her read. She, was, she could speak English. She'd been in the country for a couple of years. She spoke good barrio English, and she was very bubbly and cheerful. She kind of lit up the room, but she had terrible issues. She would not read out loud. So I would do one-on-one situations. I sat down with her one time first. We kept doing this later on one-on-one tutoring sessions where I would sit down and help, try and help her read through a, a passage, an English-language passage that might be on a regent's exam. And she couldn't get through the first word for hmm. 15 minutes. And the first word was the word when. So I knew she had a big issue. I saw the red flags, and I, I said, I, I got to hear her story. And the story that she told me was amazing. She, it, when kids are nine years old in the Ivory Coast, they're sent to school. But she wasn't sent to school. Her parents locked her in the house because there was a civil war raging outside their door. And she told me, that, you know, Ms., they was killing Muslims, and she was a Muslim. And so she was locked in her house with her parents, who were illiterate, I imagine. They didn't read or write. For year, several years, she got out to a friend of a family in Mali, which is the neighboring country north of the Ivory Coast, where she stayed until a half-sister got called, sent for her, who lived in the barrio, which is the Spanish Harlem. And so she came to JFK through arrivals. This was, she was 16 years old by this time. Um, she had no schooling, spoke no English, was met by her half-sister, brought to the barrio, and then put into an eighth-grade class where she was welcomed with a fifth-grade standardized test, which, of course, she failed because she didn't know Uh anything about the language. And she said to me, some teacher pointing her finger at me saying, you should have learned this in fifth grade. So then she got to AES, which was Academy of of Environmental Sciences High School, where um, I met her after she'd been there for about a year and a half, and at that time and up to now, the regent's law is that every student, regardless of whether they have disabilities or English language learning, is required to pass five regent's exams, standardized tests, high stakes, in order to graduate. 
So by the time I met Mignon, she had failed all of the Regents tests that she was getting every January and every June, and she now had what I would call a Regents debt of five Regents. She had to take five Regents every Regents week, every January Hmm. and every June, and fail. So we were doing this amazing job of teaching her how to be a failure, and it broke my heart, and I... When I met her, I went home that night and wrote her story, and that's when I realized I had to write this book because I had to, I didn't know what I was going to write, whether it was going to be a music album or a play or something. And then I realized when I heard Mignon's story that I had to write this book because people like Mignon are voiceless. Nobody knows who they are, and nobody really cares because it's not it's not you know sexy. I guess they don't get a lot of attention, um, but. You know, we can do a lot better. I mean, education is the great equalizer in this country. That's, that's why anybody can theoretically get an education in this country and become successful. And we're just not, by giving these kind of impossible barriers to these kids that come in, as many of our relatives did, um, without language skills and maybe with some learning disabilities on top, but there's no way they're going to succeed. So we got to do better with that. And and and, and there were there were kids in that class from Yemen, from the Dominican Republic, from Mexico. Not one of them had ever gotten a grade over 42 out of 100 on any regents they took. And it all became very sinister to me, very wrong. We can do a lot better than that. And I can well, tell you how we. Can better yeah. <laughs> yeah go ahead so i mentioned this performance-based assessment um in our old school where it's very progressive it's not based it's high stakes but it's not based on cookie cutter one size fits all top-down testing it's based on bringing kids getting kids to think think critically about things we want them to become critical thinkers so kids have to starting with ninth grade, learn how to think critically. They learn through roundtables in all their subjects. By the fourth year, they, as I said, they, in order to graduate, they have to present five performance-based assessments. We call them PBAs in English, history, math, science, and autobiography. So if we were to do with this with Mignon, for instance, we could start with autobiography, mm-hmm. and we could ask her to start to learn about the maybe what the conflict was about in her mm-hmm. her home country, in the Ivory Coast. She'd start to learn a little bit about relig- comparative religions, a little bit about um, history, a little, and then she'd, we'd bring her forward and talk about her trip from the Ivory Coast to Mali to New York, and we'd learn geography that way. We'd, we'd have her figure out how to do some shopping, uh, converting currency in the Ivory Coast to American dollars. She'd learn math that way. We could... We could talk, have her do some research about some of the endemic diseases and the, the, the amount of water that's available in the Ivory Coast, and she would therefore start to learn some science. And that's the way we would start uh-huh. to her some feeling of self-worth and value and that her story is valuable and that it's worth telling. And she would learn and we would learn, and she could, she could pass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's creative. What? It's challenging, yes. and and it, yet it's a very it's rigorous. It's based in standards, and I think that students remember the research 
that they've done in these PBAs far better than they remember what they guessed on in a Regents exam mm-hmm. or bubbling in on a standardized test. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what do you think, um, I mean, if you could be the head of the Board of Education for New York, uh, New York City, what, um, I mean, what do you think are sort of the main problems that, I mean, one thing we haven't talked about, I mean, we kind of alluded to it, but besides the teachers who have to rotate to all these different schools, I guess there's also teacher burnout because of all the problems that kids are bringing with them to school these days. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. And, you know, teachers need to be, when I grew up, your parents were teachers. Did you say your parents were teachers? No, my parents weren't teachers. They just used to tell me at first, before I told them I was going to be a doctor, they used to tell me, be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> be a teacher. Well, my parents were teachers, and, you know, they were, my my mother was the daughter of immigrants. My father himself was an immigrant. It was a highly respected uh, profession. Right. We lived really beautifully. We traveled in, as a family. We had money. We had We had savings. We had a car. We had a nice house, a garden. You know, we lived really well, and, and we, my parents were respected. People looked up to teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we, we, we have to bring that back. Um, the great teachers are, are some of the great religious leaders in, in all of history. Lao Tzu, Jesus, Buddha, they're all teachers. Teaching mm-hmm. should be, be, go back to being a highly respected profession. And teachers should be treated well. They should be treated as well as Google employees. <laughs> you know, they should have... They, in order to avoid burnout, you don't want burned-out teachers. You want teachers that are excited about what they're teaching, that they're teaching to their passion. That's what, that's what imbues and excites the kids with the love of learning, is if a teacher is teaching to their passion. It's wonderful. In our, in our old schools, if a teacher wanted to do a, a whole unit on robots, We'd, we'd see kids sitting out in the hallways running their robots in the next mm-hmm, four months, you mm-hmm. know? That's, teachers need the freedom, the respect, and the, to, the time to go out and, and do stuff that's creative. Like, my, my old principal used to let me go off and do a seminar or something if I needed to recharge, like professional development. Mm-hmm. And I, one of the assistant principals now in that school was allowed to go to California to present her poetry, and come mm-hmm. back, you know, mm-hmm. and, and she came all infused. And, and teachers were being paid by some, this, this new vision school was allowing teachers to take summer, they would give teachers grants to do interesting things around the world that the teacher wanted to do that they could then bring back to their classrooms and enrich. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So like one person went to Indonesia and learned puppet making, brought that back, did a unit on puppet making. Uh-huh. You know, yes. there, there are ways... Okay. Absolutely, that makes sense. Um, I know, and that's those are like luxuries now. Well, we do need to take another break. Um, My guest is Elizabeth Rose. Her book again is called Yo Miz One Teacher Plus Twenty Five Schools Equals One Wacky Year. We'll be back talking about this problem, which is really, you know, probably one of the most serious problems facing. Uh, this country today because of what you said earlier. It's, that's the great equalizer. That's what gives people the opportunity to get ahead in this country. The free, we have the freedom, but, but we need an education to do anything. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Car- <laughs> 
You're listening to Dr. Carol Lieben. Yes, you're listening to me on Dr. Carol's Couch, and we'll be back, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, with my guest, Elizabeth Rose. We're talking about Classroom Secrets Exposed. She's doing the exposing. exposing. And her book is called, it's a memoir called Yo Miz, One Teacher Plus 25 Schools Equals One Wacky Year. So um, during the break, I was talking with Elizabeth and saying that it's so sad. It's like a combination, a toxic combination of burnt-out teachers who aren't getting enough respect, aren't getting enough money, aren't getting these opportunities that you were talking about. And plus, um, you know, from my perspective, um, they are coming with so many, the kids are coming with so many psychological problems, um, from learning disorders to parents getting divorced. But, um, you know, I feel, I feel, you know, there are studies that have been done uh, looking at what the 10 worst problems were that kids had years ago when they went to school and compared to the 10 worst problems that kids, kids have today. And of course there's no comparison. And of course, you know, there weren't guns in the school or certainly not, certainly not that you heard of or not in the majority of schools or, um, I mean, now, yes, we haven't even talked about school shooters and all of that. Now kids come to school besides being frightened at home because of domestic violence or being abused themselves. They, they, they read about all the problems in the news about, uh, Sandy Hook school shooter and every other week there's a school shooter somewhere. A daunting feat, a daunting task that we're asking kids to do today. Yeah, and, and, and we really need to, you know, I don't have a snap solution other than, um, <laughs> the word, well, people, what people call wraparound services, where we had community schools, where, where communities were able to reach out to um, parents. A lot of the parents of some of these kids are m- many, 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 a great preponderance of the kids I knew only had one parent. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, and it's usually a woman, a mom, and she's usually working two or three jobs, and maybe there's a grandmother helping or an older kid helping out with the most basic things. And so, you know, we're letting people fall through the cracks because we're not, you know, we're, you know, we're, we need to, we need to really allow our resources to go into communities that need them the most. I'm talking about the, the kids that are living in poverty in these terrible places. They're, bo- they're born into it, and they don't have any real role models. And there have been some success stories and creativity um, here and there. Dr. Ken Robinson has written a book called Creative Schools, um, in which he talks about some of these uh, school leaders who have done really amazing things in some of the most challenging areas. And there are also kids that come from the best you know, the quote, the families that have plenty of money and plenty of resources that also come in with a lot of problems, too. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I think education is the great equalizer. I also, think it, I also think it's education is by nature somewhat messy, and there has to be a great deal of flexibility, and there has to be a great deal of respect for diversity. I think we need a great respect for the fact that people learn, everybody learns differently, and not only that, teachers are very diverse in the way they teach. And we all know we had teachers that were silly, that we may have loved or hated, and we had teachers that were very strict, that we may never forget because they challenged us so heavily to move beyond. So a great school system will respect the diversity of learners and teachers Uh as well Uh as provide resources to the community. And um, the the whole top-down management business and the top-down test, hyper-testing business is oblivious to the, the individuals and the, the souls who are being affected. And so no, the voices aren't being heard, the students' voices aren't being heard, the teachers' voices aren't being heard, and those are the most important voices. And I just want to say, a book just came out called The Prize, and I read the review of it in this week's um, New York Sunday Times, and this is a reporter who has covered the Newark New Jersey school system, which I imagine is pretty similar to the one that I experienced. Um, And uh, what had happened was in 2010, Mark Zuckerberg, who is the chairman of Facebook, um, gave $100 million to to fix the Newark school system Mm. and come up with a plan that could be applied across the United States. And Cory Booker was the mayor at the time, and Chris Christie was the governor. And they all went on Oprah and had this big celebration of the gift. So this reporter followed around what was going on in Newark for mm. the next five years. And she found something pretty amazing. I have not read the book. I just read the, the review. Yeah. What she found was that they, the people at the top, the Cory Booker, who is, of course, a very courageous guy and wonderful energy in many ways, was more interested in bringing in his his friends who were on the highest levels of economic society to come in as consultants for really high amounts of money. And um, anyway, they were what they were doing was taking $100 million and ladling it out in a top-down way, never once consulting, from what this article says, consulting with parents or teachers. Hmm. Wow. And so, obviously... It didn't work great, and I don't know the details because I haven't read the book, just came out. But what's really heartening is that Mark Zuckerberg saw this, and now he's doing the same thing in the Bay Area, but he is targeting parents and students huh. to hear what they have to say. And he's, I'm so proud of him for understanding that that is the essence of where 
if you want to reform things and make them better, talk to the students and talk to the parents and talk to the teachers. And stop doing this top-down flavor of the year or flavor of the week idea for how to improve all the poor people, you know, all the poor people. You don't know who they are until you listen to them, until you're humble enough to say, tell us what's going on. So, yay, Mark Zuckerberg. Yes, (laughs) yes. And, you know, I I mean, in L.A., um, they keep changing uh, the person who's the head of the public schools, you know, like they're changing underwear. I mean, it's never, it's always a disappointment. It's always, there's always some corruption, you know, connected to there was something about buying um, computers for everybody and, and then finding out that the students were, I don't know, they were going to porn sites or they were going to things that were, <laughs> they, they weren't expecting them to go to. Somehow these things were not blocked off. And, um, yeah, I, I know. I mean, I think the part of the problem is it is such a, you know, there are so many pieces to this puzzle that you can't just hire one person and have a few consultants and solve the whole problem in a very simplistic way. You do have to look at it from all these different angles. I mean, I think there should be, <laughs> my my two cents would be that there should be, just like, you know, there are eight periods or however many periods there are these days in a six periods in a, um, well, I guess it's different with different schools, but however many periods there are in a day in a school, one of those periods um, should be therapy period because and preferably like the first period. I, I mean, I guess not all students could have it in the same period, but um, but there needs to be, you know, somebody has to, you were talking about the save room, um, somebody has to save uh, these students from themselves or save these students from from their environment, from their parents, and, and, you know, from their, from the life, whether they're rich or poor, just the problems. And yes, of course, um, there are more problems in poverty stricken areas, the gangs and so on. But, but, I mean, every, even, um, with more affluent families, uh, this problem, like what you bring up about, about fatherless homes, and, and even when it's rich families, and then they have, uh, nannies taking care of the kids, so the kids, you know, aren't really, Getting the love and attention they need anyway, even if they have, you know, at least not from their parents. Um, so, um, so it needs, there needs to be, you know, I mean, you know, since when, um, it's a rhetorical question, but the idea even that school, school, everyone's looking to school to solve every problem. You know, it, it never used to be, let's put it that way, that schools had to serve breakfast to kids, or if you had lunch, you would bring lunch money and you'd pay for your lunch, or you would bring your lunch from home. But now, now schools feed, literally feed the children, um, because the kids aren't getting enough food at home. So, I mean, uh, schools are being looked at, at to solve all the problems of society. The fact that there aren't fathers in, in so many homes. The fact that, that all, there's all this abuse. I mean, it's, it's, you can't, it's, it's not just education anymore that schools are being expected to provide, but also um, the solution to all these other problems. Yes. And, and as it, from a teacher standpoint, the teacher has to be the social worker and yes. the therapist. And, the, you know, you're asking a lot of, the te- of teachers when you put her in a classroom and, and you're packing the classroom with 37 kids. We have a lot of overcrowding now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're making impossible demands and, and the teacher is burning out and the kids aren't getting any attention. So 
You know, you're making me think about what, what are the answers. The answer is enlightened leadership. You know, for let's see what happens in the Bay Area. Let's see what, what, what they learn in the Bay Area. For me, mm-hmm. what I could do in New York and what I would offer if anybody came to me and said, what would you like to do is mm-hmm. New York, like L.A. and many of our big cities, has, is full of first-class arts institutions. And with first-class arts institutions, you draw a great number of artists to the city. And so there are a lot of artists in every field in New York City. Many of them are working, and many of them are between jobs. And get those artists who are between jobs, and let's start a close encounter of the greatest artistic kind, and let's get them in the schools. And let's, we have a school, the Martin Luther King Complex, that's on Amsterdam Avenue. There are six schools in that building. They're, one, they're right across the street from Lincoln Center. Let's start on that block, and mm-hmm. let's get programs back and forth. Let's create a current with teaching artists who are in ballet or in, in, in theater. There's so much going on there that we can enrich our kids' lives with, because to me, when you say yes to a child's creative instinct, you're saying yes to that child's soul. Yes, absolutely, and we need to leave there, but that's a very good point to leave on, because... <laughs> um, the, you know, art and music, all the arts, I'm sure you're including music and, and, and all the arts, um, it's, it's so important. These are getting, as you, as you, as you are best at telling, you know, from your own example, these are getting cut out in the, in the, uh, instead to have more time for courses that the tests measure and instead of um, drawing kids, keeping kids interested in school by having art and music and all these other things as well as the core subjects, the, uh, I mean, I don't want to use the word core because uh, that's a whole other topic. We should, yeah. <laughs> the core curriculum, which is horrendous. Um, but anyhow, I want to make sure I give out the name of the book again. And, of course, people can get it at Amazon and wherever books are sold. It, again, it's called Yo Miz, um, One Teacher Plus 25 Schools Equals One Wacky Year. And your website? Yo Miz, the book. That's with a Z, by the way, M-I-Z. Yo Miz, the book, dot com. Yes, and that that's filled with all kinds of uh, additional information and materials, and and I recommend that you go go there. It's y o miz m i z um, dot com. So the thank book. you so much. The, oh, I'm sorry, yo miz the book miz. dot com. Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Dr. Carroll. It's wonderful. I really appreciate the chance to talk about this. Well, you're you. very welcome, and I wish you all the best. We need more thank people you. like you <laughs> in the school. Oh, thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 